Welcome to the Shelfformers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I am your co-host, Darby, and today we're going to talk about the Marvels and Loki. And I'm your co-host, Sugu. Join us tonight for our giant size episode. Giant sizing. <laughs> and that is foreshadowing. Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut, which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Uh, tonight, to ride the zeitgeist, uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about the new Marvel movie, The Marvels, and also Loki season two, episode six, because they were released at about the same time. And last episode, Darby, you had speculated that they're all connected, that one led into the other and and all that. So we're going to talk about all of that today. First, big picture stuff. Darby, you saw the Marvels and uh, episode Mm -hmm. six. Uh, I don't know what order you saw them in. For me... I went and saw the morning show of the Marvels and then came home and was able to see the Loki because that was a release schedule out here in Japan. Uh, so um, what did you see first and did it make a difference? Uh, no, it didn't make a difference. Um, I, we went to see the Marvels and then uh, ended up seeing Loki uh, Friday morning because Thursday it ended up being really crazy for me personally. Um, so, uh, the plan originally was to see Marvel's and then watch Loki, uh, that night didn't quite happen. Um, but yeah, Marvel's kind of start there, I suppose. I don't know. Sure. Uh, up up to you. Uh, there's so much to talk about in both of them. Uh, there are connections between them that we'll talk about. Um, spoilers, um, by the way. Heavy, heavy spoilers. Massive spoilers, folks, all over the shop. Really enjoyed the Marvels. Uh, had a lot of fun. It's a it's a really fun, sometimes zany uh, movie. It features one of the most outrageously funny sequences in MCU history. I have a feeling your mileage will vary on this sequence for people. It has some flaws in story and writing that um, I flagged immediately in the process of watching it. Left me frustrated at times because these are characters I care about. This is a story I care about. And I think, uh, to be completely honest for me personally, I'm I'm concerned that the MCU has fundamentally fumbled Carol Danvers' character to the point that 
if the rest of the movie hadn't been such an enjoyable experience just watching it and unwinding for an hour and 45 minutes shortest mcu movie ever by the way that i i might have been in near riot at one point in the movie um there's a lot of takes going on we might talk about it in terms of the the take wars that are happening right now maybe um one of the takes is that this movie um and you know we had talked about it at one point on one of the earlier pods in terms of you know the marketing is confused and that 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 really uh, became apparent watching the movie that the marketing did the movie no favors. Part of that was the strike. The actor sag after strike is now over. Uh, the the sag after came away with a great deal. Um, part of it was just the marketing itself was was I was mystifying. Uh, one of the takes is that you you need a, a cliff notes for the movies or you need to have watched everything. Uh, I saw this movie with my partner in crime and uh she is completely unfamiliar with any of this and and um did not did there weren't you know had no issue picking up a lot of recapping of this movie a lot of uh first issue of your first marvel comic in this movie that i think there's a lot of onboarding that was just fine some of it got a little bit jumbled uh vis-a-vis one carol danvers um what did you think yeah, like a lot of what you said, uh, I pinged up on when I was watching it as well. I guess for me, like quick summary, big picture type stuff is that I, while I was watching the movie, I was in, I was enjoying it. It was fine. couple bits, I, I cocked my eyebrow a bit because it just, it wasn't working for me. Uh, I know what they were going for, but I was like, "You're, it's a bit too disjointed." I love the character work that was going on, but in the end, when the credits rolled, I found myself feeling pretty disappointed. And when I left the theater, pretty much up until right now, that we're our podcast right now, the recording. I've been trying to figure out why I've been feeling disappointed. So I'm looking to you, Professor Darby, about Uh-oh. clearing up clearing up what I'm feeling about this. Because the things I liked about it, I really liked. Well, but... let's talk about what we really like. Okay. I uh, love the for, character like, work. Yeah. I thought um, the way that they developed not just the main characters, but also the side characters and also even the villain I thought was great. I thought the, I thought Darbin, uh, the villain was the weakest part of the movie. Okay. Uh, it was, it was a waste of a really interesting villain, uh, who got virtually no development. It felt like we're reverting back to phase one MCU villains. Mm-hmm. Um and well, uh, waste of a really good actress in Zawi Ashton, who uh, real quick nerd is, uh, is Tom Hiddleston's wife. Yeah, and and to that, by the way, that's one of the reasons I was disappointed because you had someone who's really fascinating as a villain, right? Like you have this meta narrative about the Cree being colonizers, and you get this window into how these people are thinking you know as the Cree empire and all that and you see their entire planet just racked 
right from the annihilator and you um, see darben like like you actually see where she's going with it but in the end marvel's got to do what marvel's got to do and they just completely <sighs> kind of toss her um, aside we're going to talk about this. The problem with Darben is that they didn't know quite what to do with Darben because they didn't quite know what to do with Carol. And so the fundamental flaw in this movie and in Carol's character, frankly, in the MCU today is knowing exactly what to do with Carol. And so they toss out this. It's the, the movie structurally from a writing standpoint is flawed because Darben actually has a really fascinating motivation Mm-hmm. And a really fascinating backstory that is discarded in the about halfway through the movie. Yeah, in a, in a flashback that is a clear reshoot, and it's it was added in later to give also to fill a plot hole, which is Carol's justification for being MIA for thirty years, which is in conflict with her entire established history to this point vis-a-vis the scrolls. Which another thing we'll probably talk about macro. I referred to this on the pod several weeks ago. It will shock you how much Secret Invasion didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, they mismanaged the scroll narrative, yep. the MCU. Yep. Wasting the entire promise of the stories attached to them, including Secret Invasion from the comics. That means they've mismanaged Carol and her relationship via them. Um, the Cree justification for what she did. So the the movie reveals that Carol returns to Hala, which is the Cree homeworld. She destroys the Supreme Intelligence, which in this in this movie is is shown to be the famous Jack Kirby interpretation of it. She destroys it. Uh, setting off a civil war which creates this uh, global catastrophe on Hala, motivating Darben to do what she does. That's all really interesting. So I don't hate it. I don't hate it. But in the end... In the end, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work because um, we disregard Carol's um, commitment to the scrolls, which was the real reason she was away from her. Um, I want to talk about... I want to talk a lot about Carol, just uh notice to the audience yeah because i i'm curious myself you said that she missed that marvel mishandled carol they fundamentally didn't understand uh carol danvers in this movie so what is your understanding of carol danvers that they've that they've fumbled it what what's going on well sure let me ask you a question who is carol danvers uh you mean what i know of her which yeah, no, they're like honest, much. like honestly, like what? Who is Carol? She was, and so that's the thing. She should, ha- she should be someone with a really fascinating backstory, but she's basically like, uh, in a an Earthbound American fighter pilot. Who? So it, it took ten seconds for you for us to get here. This is the problem with Carol. Is that we don't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other part is she's like Wolverine, right? Doesn't know her past. So she's trying to rediscover her past because her past was taken by the Kree, which which creates a a place for revenge in killing the supreme being or the supreme intelligence or whatever that thing's called. It does. 
It does. Um, so you get that idea in the flashback that she is she is taking out the supreme intelligence as revenge. But then they kind of casually toss out, no, 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 it was actually for freedom. But yeah, I don't know the. It kind of shows more so, revenge than it does for freedom. Carol Danvers doesn't know who she is, which is one reason she's wearing still the she's using the Cree memory technology to recover her memories. Brie Larson plays Carol as if Carol doesn't know who she is and is angry about it. Okay. That approach is fascinating and is also in disconnect with some of the story elements in this movie and what we've seen of Carol to this point. Carol doesn't know who she is. The audience does. The audience understands perfectly. This is another aspect of Carol we're going to talk about is that um, we've been we've been playing footsie with Carol's sexuality for a couple movies now. And in this movie, I think it's laid bare, but it still textually will not say in ways that then frustrate the thing. Carol, Aunt Carol... Okay, she's Aunt Carol in 1991 because it was 1991. In 2021, she would just be Monica's mom because Carol and Maria weren't best friends. Okay, okay. Their, their family was a nuclear family, but in 1991, it couldn't be called that. Right. So the real problem, and Carol, as, as, as uh, many of my lesbian friends have noted, has a has a has a pension for walking around in uh, gym shorts and tank tops, okay. And she's also clearly got a thing going on with Valkyrie, which Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson, kudos, you finally pulled it off. Um, they've been flirting, as I mentioned variously on the pod at points. I think um, they've been flirting on Twitter for years. Carol is gay. Brie Larson plays her that way. Her arranged marriage to the guy who just flies through the movie is just there and gone is another indication of, you know, she's like, no, no, it's, it's, it was just a legal thing. It's like, you know, Carol is gay. She was in a relationship with Maria, right? Monica was her adoptive daughter, but she's Aunt Carol. The real pain point between Monica and Carol is that Monica lost both of her moms. It's horrifying. Okay. For reasons passing understanding, the movie isn't, you know, it's just making the sort of subtext. On one hand, I get it and I'm okay with it. On the other hand, I'm a little frustrated. And that frustration is agitated because the movie, the MCU, is still not certain of who Carol is. Carol, this, and the uncertainty stems from the fact that what is Carol's objective? Is it trying to recover who she was? That's a thread that vanishes in this movie yep it starts off that's how you start that's how you're introduced to her she's a loner who is trying to find out who she is she doesn't do very well around people right she's also burnt really bad by some experiences the Cree, obviously that should be the through line it's like i'm still trying to find out who i am Mm -hmm. there's deep resonances with the lgbtq community here that matter a lot. Matter a lot to Brie Larson, who has front-loaded them, and maybe that's not the right term, but has, but has made that part of her conversation about this character, you know, in some of her talks and, and things like that. It's one of the reasons that the bros are out, are out for this movie. But that's not what happens. Her motivation or her 
I forget what her angle is in the movie because it's, it goes from like I'm trying to find out who I am, still trying to. That's really fascinating. Still trying to recover my memories, and then it goes to, well, actually, the reason I stayed away and I'm just just kind of a, a loner is because um, I kind of halfway accidentally killed the Cree, and uh, I didn't like I that version of myself. It. Yeah. Yeah, I um, wanted to I fix mean, it before I came back. And this is where I st- even I started to kind of cross my legs and kind of sigh and start grumbling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a vacuum, the justification is fine. And in concert with Darbin's motivation of backstory, that all works. And in a different movie, that would have been really interesting. But this movie is about three women. And... Th- if you just stand back and look, the, the movie's entertaining. It's fun. It goes by way too fast. Uh, it's hell-bent to get to the credits. Mm-hmm. Um, but the theme, some of the themes are very rewarding. All the character work is fantastic. Amon Vellani is a rock star. Every scene she's in is a slam dunk. Uh, Brie Larson, I feel like, is working overtime in a movie that I does is not always helping her. Tayana Paris is really great as Monica. Um, the three of them together are really good, but their themes don't align. There, there should have been really strong thematic stuff going on in this movie. Carol, surrogate daughter, and Monica, uh, obsessed fan, and Kamala. Um, there should have been a scene or two where Monica and Kamala have a conversation about their proxy relationship, their para relationship with Carol, and how those two things relate. How does how does Kamala's fandom worship worship of Carol conflict contrast with Monica's almost refusal to acknowledge Carol mm-hmm. and all that baggage and things like that? Where is the scene where yeah. Kamala's like Carol Danvers is the greatest woman who ever lived? And Monica's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. She's she's she left me. She left me. <laughs> Yeah, she said she was coming right back. We get that conversation between Carol and Monica. Very good acting. Nice. But we only scene. get like a snippet of it because that conversation should have been so much more. Brie Larson's trying really hard throughout the movie. We get a great sense that Carol, despite the fact that she's gone, is heavily invested in Monica, her well-being, and how she's doing. That was very, very much appreciated because there was some character assassination of Carol going on in Secret Invasion. Here, this movie ignores Secret Invasion. Actually, mm-hmm. to a fault, it might I would di- say. To a fault, and it might just be simple to say that the, that, the, that the MCU is going to ignore it, because that was a misfire, if ever there was one. That Nick Fury is completely incongruous with this Nick Fury in this movie. Yep. <laughs> Who is Samuel L. Jackson, great as always, has some of his best one-liners. In this movie, one of the absolute funniest bits is when Kamala is falling and they switch powers and then Carol hits the ground and Nick's like, oh, it's fine, it's Carol. Um, It's no big deal. All of it is just incongruous. And that's sort of a a larger problem that has to do with some recent MCU. But, yeah. Like, yeah, Carol. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm frustrated. Or one of the parts that frustrated me is the movie kicks off, or the the issue kicks off with their powers being entangled. 
right? When they use their powers at the same time, they swap. No real yep. explanation why all three of them, because only two of them touch the malfunctioning uh, jump point at the same time. It, it's a plot contrivance which is laced through the bangle, and we get resolution on the bangle part, which was built up in Miss Marvel and, and is the quantum bands, as I speculated in our Miss Marvel pod. So I was right about that. It's a little bit undersold here from the comics. Uh, the TLDR on the quantum bands, real quick, in the Marvel comics, uh, they were created by a cosmic being called Eon, given to, uh, to various people, most notably Quasar. Uh, to be protector of the universe, and they, they are vast cosmic um, items that that have incredible cosmic power, including traveling between universes, which becomes key here. No, I don't think it's completely explained, except that it's a Kree object that Kamala is wearing that somehow in Miss Marvel activated Kamala's powers, though she's a mutant. Right. So you and see then, how, like, nothing is actually fitting. And then the end of the movie, what happened? Well, there, our powers are no longer entangled. Somehow the Emperor is back. <laughs> somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> like, it's um, just, uh, okay, so clearly the movie is done, so we don't need to entangle powers anymore, so we're just going to stop it. It's like, what? <laughs> It, it it was a writing uh, missed opportunity in this movie was to cut that short because they have this is a thing where the script what like you know this the script has to do something that's on a list and so they decided for reasons that we don't know yet that they wanted Monica to be the person uh, so again spoilers if you're still here uh, to the reason they wanted Monica be to be the person on the other side of the gate or, or the tear as it closes. Um, this was an opportunity for uh, Carol's character. If you leave them entangled until the final moment, Carol is able to swap places with Monica. Yeah. Or Monica is able to swap places with Carol, depending on how you want to play it. Both of those things give you opportunities to pay off their arc in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Monica understands that, you know, she has a better understanding of Carol. Or maybe Carol's like, I, you know, she's like, I'm not going to leave you this time. And well, she gets Monica home. Another thing is, if Carol gets stuck in the uh, in the other realm, you have a way to get uh, Rogue. You do, because we're going to a place which I think is really fascinating um, that is exciting as a comic book fan that presents a lot of intriguing stuff that has to do with Loki, which we're going to talk about, and the multiverse and Secret Warriors, which we know we're going to uh, in the future here with the MCU. Um, We'll have to wait and see exactly why Monica was the choice. I I wonder if Carol thematically and just narratively would have been more interesting. Uh, They want to keep Carol around because, uh, you know, she's an Avenger and she's going to have a place in these movies. And just real quick, so far as the bro conversation is going, she's not going anywhere, guys, so... Like, you know, I know there's some disappointment right now um, 
the, the, the movie is somewhat disappointed. The box office is going to be really disappointing this weekend. There's a lot of factors for that. One of the factors is this isn't a great movie and that, yeah. that, um, that, that it's not going to be a barn burner. Um, if you're looking for a couple hours to kill and have a really fun time, a really fun time, this movie's fun. This movie is fun. Uh, a lot of great comedy, a lot of great action, expertly directed in some many ways by Nia DaCosta. Uh, the action, especially the swapping, the switching back and forth, those scenes are, are often very, very good. I really um, like the training montage. The training montage was great. Um, the problem with the movie lies in the writing. This also falls on Nia DaCosta's shoulders. Uh, she co-wrote the movie with a couple other people. Um, I have a feeling that there was some heavy-handedness in the editing room uh, in this particular movie having to do with some story flaws that I felt there was a lot of second-guessing in the movie. I could really feel that in that scene with Carol and Monica where Carol explains her reason for being away, which is the supreme intelligence, what she, the annihilator reveal. Yeah. Um, it didn't, it, it didn't fit in a, it didn't fit in, in a vacuum. It makes sense, but it doesn't fit. And it felt like the story, it felt like notes. It felt like someone yeah. watched the movie and you're given feedback and like, I'm still missing Carol's justification. The reason they were missing Carol's justification is because they don't have this, as I referred to earlier, they don't have this lock on Carol. And, um, that is frustrating. This is a major, major, major Marvel comic book character. Um, she's too important um, in in the Marvel comics, in the MCU. And Brie Larson is too good of an actress, is an Academy Award winning actress, uh, to, to not have a handle on this. So um, can we take a, a pause, yeah. a step back real quickly? I will yeah, yeah. be the first to acknowledge that my knowledge of comic book Carol Danvers is very anemic. It's really surface level. Like what happened yeah. there? Cause she wasn't a, she wasn't a presence and you had alluded in a previous episode somewhere. Um, you had alluded that she was gone and then rogue came like she was, she disappeared into rogues consciousness and so yeah. you know for for comics purposes she was just gone and then i stopped reading comics sometime around the time when she came back and i started reading comics well after she had been long established so her reign her importance in the marvel universe in comics i don't really know so What's sure. her deal? What's going on? Why is she so well? I'll, I'll do the TLDR because uh, there's a lot. This, this is a uh, good 50 years of comic books. Um, Kara Danvers, uh, the original Miss Marvel, uh, sidekick to the original Captain Marvel. And this um, is Marvel, right? Marvel. Okay. Um, Marvel dies. Uh, of cancer, which is an echo in Maria's character uh, in the MCU. Um, Carol joins the Avengers as Miss Marvel. One of the disconnects between, for a lot of people between Marvel and the MCU is that version of Carol in the comics is an Amazon. She's uh, figuratively, she is 
you know, she's not Brie Larson. Brie Larson is petite. Uh, she's scrappy. She plays Carol as like a, a woman, a girl that I've known all my life. I have some of them in my life right now whose uh, disposition is to always punch up because she's always being punched down on. So Car Carol's thing, that immediately someone gets on the wrong side of her. It's just like, she's waiting for the bro, the dude, because she's tiny, she's a girl, and she's been told her entire life, as we saw in the, the flashbacks in the first Captain Marvel, that she can't do it, that she doesn't belong. Sorry, real quickly, and, she's a girl? Like she's a teenager in the comics? It, no, in, in Captain Marvel in the first movie, we see in the flashbacks, to her childhood, okay, her being yeah. a teenager. When she she's was a, a She's an Air Force pilot. She's one of the first, by inference in the timeline, she's one of the first female pilots in the Air Force, her okay. and Maria. Um, the, the inference we get in Captain Marvel, it flies by, that, 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 they're, that they're Top Gun level pilots, and they're the first of, of a, obviously now 30 years of women. The Air Force is, is full of women pilots these days. But in her day, she would have been vanguard in terms mm -hmm. of that. Carol Comics joins the Avengers. A lot happens in the Avengers. Most important thing that happens is that she has an encounter with Rogue in Avengers Annual Number 10 in which Carol Rogue steals Carol's powers and her memories. This is what makes Rogue Rogue. Rogue gets her invulnerability, her super strength, and her flight all from Carol. So this gets glossed over a lot in a lot of the other media because Carol hasn't been part of the movies until just recently. But that's where Rogue gets the majority of her powers. Rogue's only power to that point was to simply take other people's powers. Um, this this sidelines Carol for most of my childhood in the 1980s where she's right. a sort of a specter. Uh, in Rogue's memories, Rogue is so undone by this act. It was not intentional to do this that she goes to the X-Men and she eventually, for help from Charles, and eventually becomes an X-Men. She's a villain before this. Carol finally gets whole, quote-unquote, and then and during this period in Uncanny X-Men 164, this is early 80s, um, she becomes binary, which we'll talk about in a minute here as it relates to um, the in the uh, mid-credits scene in this movie, uh, which is sort of her, where her cosmic powers first sort of manifest. And then Carol kind of bounces around here and there in the comics. She's a little bit drift. She goes in and out of the Avengers uh, until, and she's really just sort of a character. She's the, she's part of the, the very large Avengers family. Uh, sort of like She-Hulk. Um, she comes in and out. Until round about 2011, 2012, at which point Kelly Sue DeConnick decides that, hey, um, she was, you know, she was sort of the, uh, you know, she was Miss Marvel and she was the, uh, why isn't she Captain Marvel? <laughs> why isn't she Captain Marvel? We haven't had a Captain Marvel in a really long time. She, the, Carol becomes Captain Marvel, and then finally, after at that point 40 years or so, uh, finally finds her footing in the comics. She gets that iconic costume, all time costume, which we've seen in the MCU now. Um, and uh, she kind of gets her, her true flight status, and then very quickly after that, uh, fires like a rocket into icon status 
in the comics, and then of course she's uh, enters the MCU in 2019. Um, that's the TLDR, Carol. So real quickly, Ms. Marvel wasn't that also Jean Grey's uh, code name? No, she was Marvel Girl. Okay. Captain Marvel has been a few people, including Shazam and Fawcett Comics, long, long time ago. Copyright issues doesn't matter right now. Yeah. Miss um, Marvel was Carol, and then a woman named Sharon Ventura, and then Monica Rambo uh, was Captain Marvel for a time, um, and then uh, Kamala Khan becomes Miss Marvel officially in twenty was it fourteen. After Carol upgrades to Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel uh, title left vacant. That becomes Kamala, and that virtually is boarded over from the comics as, into the MCU. Kamala, huge Carol stan, um, and that's that whole relationship, that dynamic is as it was in the comics. Yeah. So, skipping very very far ahead, are we seeing in the MCU that? Carol Danvers in the X-Men reality is the same actress as Maria Rambeau in our MCU reality. Like is binary supposed to be Carol Danvers or is that Maria Rambeau? That's Maria. It's interesting. So this is, so let's talk about the post, the mid credit scene, no post credit scene. Uh, except for some mewing kittens at the end. A lot is happening in the mid-credits scene. Yeah. The first one the first one is that Monica wakes up in a hospital room. Not a hospital room. They're in the X-Mansion. Um, she wakes up and Mon- Maria, her mother, is beside her. But this isn't her mother. She's in another universe. She's in the Fox X-Men universe. Um, Maria is wearing the binary costume from the comics. This is the second variant of Maria we've seen. Yep. The, uh, the first, first was in Doctor Strange, Strange in which it was clear the inference there was that she was the pilot in the mission that gave Carol her powers. Carol refers to this in a very, goes by too quick, but a, a very compelling flashback where Mer- Carol came home and visited Maria during the blip. Uh, we need to talk about that maybe. I'll put a pin in that. Um so this is the second variant, but this is binary. This suggests a couple things. That this is Maria and that um, her in the Fox X-Men universe or a version of it, um, the that Maria um, played the role that Carol did. So we can maybe infer that this Maria, everything that happened to Carol happened to Maria except that she became binary at some point. And, and then because binary... Carol as binary hung out with the X-Men. She was an official member of the X-Men. She was the only, she's the only non-mutant to have ever been a member of the X-Men in the comics. Um, Hung out with the X-Men for an extended period of time in the mid-1980s as binary. Uh, A lot of great stories, particularly the the Claremont and uh, Paul Davis, Paul Smith, excuse me, run, uh, which is just sublime. that's uh, issues 164, first parents binary. This is where uh, the brood uh, really make their name uh, in the comic books here. The brood are, are characters we haven't ever really seen on screen uh, that we may uh, someday, hopefully we do. Um, so yeah, and then she is accompanied, uh, Maria binary, 
by uh, Beast, Hank McCoy. Uh, Kelsey Grammer reprising his role from uh, X-Men The Last Stand and more importantly, Days of Future Past. The musical cue from the scene is from Days of Future Past. Yeah. So I have um, a real quick question about that. Was that actually Kelsey Grammer in there or was that CGI and he did a voice dub? Yeah, that's a CGI uh, uh, Kelsey Grammer on the on the voiceover. Uh, he played Hank uh, in a costume in the uh, Fox movies. Uh, this is an all CGI Hank here. It looks a little bit different. Yeah. Um, uh, big implications here. They are inside a uh, a lab a room inside the X Mansion. The X door is uh, directly behind them. The iconic X door from the Fox movies. Um, he references Charles, uh, Charles Xavier, uh, Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, it's clear that Maria doesn't recognize Monica. She's never had Monica in this reality. Um, Monica is stuck here. An important detail that I noticed no one has mentioned on the Twitter machine, Sugu, is that Binary is wearing the bracelets, the bangles. Oh, okay. Yeah. You can't get that shit past Darby, but I noticed <laughs> it. Uh, that has major implications for how we're getting home as far as Monica goes. And also what's going to happen next, and, and we'll, we're sure to talk about that. But mm-hmm. um, Yeah, interesting scene. Uh, clearly, uh, I speculated irresponsibly on a previous pod about what this uh, X-Men could be uh, that had to do with Miss Marvel and Kamala's connection as a mutant. Which didn't factor at oh. all. At all. Yeah. But I was uh, I had predicted that there would be a blue X-Men person in uh, the Marvels. I was correct. Uh, incorrect on who that was going to be. You were correct on the blue skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, but this nonetheless... Intriguing. Uh, I heard some people say after the movie that this felt like uh, uh, sort of uh, um, exploitative was the word I heard. That's that this an was interesting word. That this was just there to get people in the seats, and 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 um, that is that is not true, and I'm happy to explain why. Okay, but before you explain why, uh, let me just tell you my take on it because i wouldn't yeah call yeah, it, yeah i would not say it's much. exploitative like i wouldn't go that far but what i will say for myself and one of the reasons i felt disappointed coming out of the theater is to me that felt very uh corporate committee decided and not organic to the story itself um it felt like we had to have a connection to X-Men. It felt like we had to like, that was one of the things I noticed especially in the second half of the movie is there are so many tick marks that had to be in there because that's the formula that, that Disney is mandating or Marvel or the Marvel studios is mandating. And the story wanted to go somewhere else, but they needed it to go there. Um, there are some things in the movie that feel checklisty, which is frustrating because of the things we've discussed. Because one of the things on our 
that wasn't on our checklist was clear definition of Carol's arc. Right. Um, and that is frustrating all of this. The fact that Kamala is a mutant and her path does not lead to the X-Men as it organically should is mystifying. mystifying. <laughs> um, but the, but the X-Men's place in uh, this tease at the end and then the tease in Doctor Strange with Patrick uh, and what's going to happen in Deadpool 3 next year um these are organic and the, they're these organic are to of, the mcu but i would not say organic to the marvels maybe not to the marvels um but but there's a larger sort of story here that i mean we don't know the next part of it and I, as i mentioned a little bit ago I, I i think there's maybe a story decision here where we could have gone a different way with carol that might have been more intriguing um if it had been carol instead of maria or Monica, I'm sorry, uh, but they chose to do that because um, they wanted the resonance with Monica and Maria. Another scene that very well played uh, by Tayana Paris that goes by too quick. It's weird when you're watching a movie and the scene is fine. There's nothing wrong with the scene. She reacts and well, how do you react? You've seen your mother who has died. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fine. And at the same time, you're like, this scene doesn't work. This scene doesn't work. The, you know, I... It, you know, Monica's reaction should be one of uh, of fear and, and am I dead? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right, kind of, right. Um, you know, like, kind of I a thing. I appreciate the utter joy, but yeah, she's sword, saber, shield. One of those acronyms that's really clunky. She's um, an acronym. Yeah. Right? We don't so know. So she should be skeptical about all of this. So I get the joy, but yeah, you're right. There should have been an undercurrent of, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? What's going on? And in, in, in sort of disconnect, which another disconnect that I commented on uh, uh, as the, the credits roll by is the music that is playing uh, during the credits, uh, the, the credits, which uh, people should stick around sometime and, and watch, not just because you're waiting for the scenes, uh, just to kind of see all the people that worked on the movie. The the movie the 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 music during this sequence, uh, as the credits are just going by, is dissonant, and weird and strange and unsettling, mm -hmm. um, and and out of character with the entire movie that preceded it. Oh my gosh! I uh, yeah, that was just that was just weird. I found myself like just sort of thinking about it, but um, I, I the scene was fine. It was weirdly played. Um, or, or not weirdly played. It was just weird in this, like the, the entire movie kind of felt this way at times where, you know, the, 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 the choices were sort of interesting. Let me talk about the, why, how this sort of lines up with everything, mm -hmm. what they're setting up between Dr. Strange. So Dr. Strange establishes a couple of things. One is the concept of incursions. That is uh, the idea of two universes multi in the in the multiverse contacting, and then they break and then they break down, and one annihilates the other or both. Um, this is uh, from the comic books and Secret Wars, which we're going to talk a lot about here. The in the comic books, the 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 main conflict is uh, the incursion that happens between the Marvel Universe six one six and. Uh, one six one zero, which is the un the ultimate comics universe that Miles originates from, Miles Morales, and their incursion accidental uh, leads to 
uh, this battle royale that ultimately leads to both of them being destroyed and uh, leads directly into Secret Wars, which is the collapse of the entire multiverse down into what's called Battle World, which is a single realm that is ruled by God Emperor Doom. This is the reason why people were speculating on Doctor Doom and some of the reporting that we commented on recently. We're going to talk about Loki and what happens in the season finale of Loki and, and why you know, Doctor Doom conversations are, are extremely premature. We've actually already talked about this on the pod. But it's clear what the the, the end of the, the post, the mid-credits scene in the Marvels is setting up and all these threads and what if and um, Doctor Strange are setting up is that the incursion that we're going to see is between the MCU and the Fox Marvel universe, Mm -hmm. which collectively includes a lot of different things, but primarily the X-Men. That's going to... That'll be our main crisis as we get to Secret Wars. And it that is why we're seeing these characters. Patrick, Kelsey Grammer. We're going to see Hugh Jackman next year. We're going to see a lot of X-Men next year. Uh, Fox X-Men next year. Um, that's our crisis. Um, that is going to lead then to the what happens in the comics. And I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure about this at this stage, given what's happening. Um, that's going to lead to their collapse and dissolution into Secret Wars, which will then, as we talked about uh, on previous pods, is going to be the reboot of the MCU, which is going to then lead to the single universe that has everything from the beginning. Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, all of it in one space, Spider-Man. Yeah, but that's what we're going to see. So we're introducing our X-Men in drips and drabs, and then we're going to get the... We're going to get a battle royale between our... We're going to get our Avengers versus X-Men, which I think will actually be... We're going to talk about Loki and Kang here. Um, I I think right now the next Avengers movie is the Kang Dynasty to be followed immediately by Avengers Secret Wars. I think think we should talk about Kang. But... um, that's what I think is going on. I think that's the play. I, I think it makes sense. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's going to be, it serves a lot of different things. It serves a narrative beat, which is going to explain these different movie universes and how we're going to get to a single cohesive one. It's giving a victory lap to our actors that we and characters that we love so much from the Fox X-Men movies. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to lead to tension with the audience because like who's going to, Who's going? Which versions of these characters are going to survive? Is it going to be Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, or is it going to be Maria Rambeau as Binary? Like things like that that are going to happen, where we're going to, you know, because we see in the multiverse now that there are different versions of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, that's that's interesting. It's going to lead to a lot of interesting stuff. I hope people are into it. Uh, some, like I said, some of the takes out there are like that. This is all sort of. Uh, none of this is going anywhere. Um, uh, I disagree with that fundamentally. I think the macro MCU, as evidenced by Loki, as evidenced by some other things, is doing just fine. There are some things that aren't working. We've talked about them in this movie. We've talked about them with Secret Invasion elsewhere. Um, there are some things that aren't working. Uh, the, the, the macro narrative direction of the MCU is just fine. And I will say too, what there, there is strong, we did an episode, I think it was last year about phase four 
a lot of people were like, does phase four have a point? And I talked about in that how the phase four is, is thematically rich, it's thematically strong. This movie actually, for its flaws, carries forward a lot of themes from phase four, which is grief and trauma and the, the loss of, or disillusion with gods, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of gods going on in phase four, a lot of, uh, you know, disillusionment and things like that. And Carol has that with, with the supreme intelligence and Kamala should have had that with Carol. Um, you know, to make those yeah. themes resonate and, 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 and see, not, not just understand that Carol's a real person, but Carol is not the icon that Kamala worships. We never get that moment yeah. of just disappointment. I know they're probably saving it for some conflict down the road, but um, that needed to happen. This movie needed to leverage all of these things. Um, I would actually does. say... If you've watched Ms. Marvel, yes, the Marvels need to have that part where Kamala uh, Kamala Khan loses the the puppy dog eyes for for Carol. Wholeheartedly agree. But if you haven't watched Ms. Marvel, you're skipping a lot of her own development because her family uh, really showed a lot of. Uh, Kamala Khan's character growth like just all of their family interactions was to me was was great like I loved watching them all interact I loved all of it I loved her I loved Kamala I loved her family I loved her interactions with everybody yeah Um, and so to have that disillusionment in this movie especially if you haven't seen Ms. Marvel the show I might be crowding, overcrowding an already pretty crowded movie. They're just there for me. Again, I just <laughs> underlined all this. This is for me. There needed to be a scene where Kamala is having a conversation with Monica and she gets the backstory. And then Kamala at some point with Carol says, why you didn't come home for 30 years, which actually isn't true because we know from the, fl- let me go back to the flashback really quick. Carol came home during the blip was spent time with Maria, who is at that point suffering from cancer. Monica has been blipped. So Carol's grief at this point is magnified beyond repair. This this is where I I feel Brie Larson has a really strong handle on Carol. I don't think the script always does. Mm -hmm. So Brie Larson's like, I got to get out of here. I can't be, there's just no fucking way. Like, she's all like, you know, it's going to be fine. I think she tells Maria some version of, you know, she's going to come back or whatever. But Carol's like, I'm out. Carol's whole character through the MCU to this point is like, you know, I'm bouncing, dude. Like, I'm gone. I can not going to stand around here for this. Like, she can't deal with it. And then you see that contrasted with really interesting things. The scene with Valkyrie, a character that she's had no interaction with in the MCU to this point. Clearly a, a relationship there between game, them. I think, right? The end game battlefield. Like, just a little bit, right? But no, like, direct interaction. Mm-hmm. Carol, so, so tough low Carol, you know, like, you know, power. Carol softens, partner in crime commented on this after the movie, but Carol turns into a different person when Valkyrie shows up. Yep. Yeah, I know. Completely. Noticed completely. Right? And then though Carol, or Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson play that scene uh, as a very intimately between them. 
And if you are familiar with the interaction between them that's gone on now for years, um, you get that. And that's part of the understanding. That's part of the reading of Carol's character. And it's another piece in, in the puzzle of Carol Danvers in terms of, you know, she's very guarded. She's very standoffish. Um, you know, she's very like, you know, like I can't sort of deal with this kind of a thing that's just sort of in conflict with other pieces. And I'm just looking for cohesion, but I enjoyed this, um, as a whole, some of the, the, the sequence with the kittens, uh, absolutely killed it in the theater. Uh, killed it in what way? Because I did not like that sequence, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, people were screaming with laughter. Uh, this is set to a uh, really quick. Uh, the kittens, uh, the, 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 there are not enough skate pods to get off the, the saber or sword, whatever it is, space station. And they have to get all these people off. And then the only way to do it is um, to have uh, Goose has a ton of kittens. And Goose is a flurkin who uh, has an interdimensional gateway within them. Swallow, you can it swallows and you come back out or whatever. So the kittens go on this feeding frenzy, which eats everybody up. Uh, and it's set to memories from the musical Cats. And there's a particular point at which the audience loses it. Uh, that is that is just it was hysterical. People were screaming and laughter. Um, sure, it's very Gonzo. It's very. Uh, uh zany um it's definitely uh you know your mileage will vary but i yeah it it, it killed it in the theater i think my issue with the kittens and the musical element or the musical species that musical interlude where the entire their civilization is all in music so they sing and dance to each other both of those things to me had the same problem, which is that tonally they completely slammed the brakes on, on what was happening in the actual movie at them in that moment. <laughs> there are some tonal clashes. The music, I wanted to like the musical part a lot. Right. I don't think it, it worked. Part of the reason it didn't work is because we're speeding through it. I like the idea of it. Um, I don't I don't think it worked. It felt rushed that they were clearly having fun doing it. Um, the, the to me, the proof that it didn't work was that they had to make the prince bilingual so they could stop all the, the song and dance. Because you, you'll I, notice that from that point, you never heard them sing and dance with each other again. It's, I like the idea of it. I don't think the execution yeah. was very good, which is which is frustrating because uh, Brie Larson is a singer. Um, she is uh, famous for her song in Scott Pilgrim, among other things. Um, was that the, was she overdubbed then by herself, or was that someone else? That was Brie Larson. Okay. Um, I don't think I don't think honestly that the sequence was shot very well and I don't think yeah. the song was particularly great and I think the execution of like what you just said of like the world building of the, them speaking only in music I, we didn't get we didn't get all the considerations of it because we're speeding through it at yeah. light speed yeah. uh, that entire sequence on the water planet was so rushed that um, 
I don't know why it was rushed, frankly. I, I don't know why we're speeding through the sequence. This movie, like I said, is an hour and 45 minutes. There, there was a lot of time to sort of breathe that we didn't we didn't take. Well, they, they spent the time on stuff that ultimately didn't matter. And I think that's kind of the issue. That The issue that I had with it is that it didn't know what it wanted. Did it want to be zany? Did it want to be serious? It wanted both. And it could yeah, it, it ended up feeling a lot like Taiki uh YTT's uh Thor four. It 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 um that's fair criticism. Yeah, I don't know if it knew exactly what it wanted. I think Nia DaCasa had a very clear vision of this movie, which this movie was about these three women and um uh we didn't get everything out of that and then um then what type of movie are we making? Is it serious? There's a lot of serious, heavy stuff going on with Carol. Guilt, yeah. recrimination, grief uh, that we're not leveraging. There's a lot of zaniness, which mm-hmm. I think Nia DaCosta really wanted. Monica's I feel abandonment? Like abandonment, things like that. The Kamala's obsession with Carol could have drifted into the creepy. Some could argue it has. Um, you could have played even with that. Like, you know, Carol's like, fuck. Like, you know, like, you know, yeah. sort of like, you know, the obsessed fan. It's like, you know, Carol's like, ah, you know, but even like, let's say if you it, 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 let's say you keep the dynamic between all three of them the same. Right. You have Carol and her moroseness and all of her grief and atonement, shall we say. Then you have Monica's and her abandonment and all that issue. But then you have uh Kamala Khan like undercutting all of that with her fangirlism and wanting to be an Avenger and all that like that it's I think Venn was diagram. a great dynamic. It it's the under- Venn diagram. Like, that's yeah. enough to cut the tension. Yeah. That's enough to bring levity and like to to make it a fun ride. Then here, you add here, kittens here. and yeah, it just didn't work. Here's the writer problem with the story. The story, the MacGuffin is the bangle. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do with Darben, although Darben in a vacuum, like we said earlier, very good. Uh, they didn't know what to do with Darben because what the writer, and I can only assume this is Nia DaCosta, writer and director on this movie, really was in love with this idea of the entanglement because it created so many visual things. Mm-hmm. But that led to apparently a, a story decision, then to sort of have that begin from the absolute beginning. The movie takes off from the jump. Like you're okay. Here we go. The story really is. I don't know that I have a huge problem with this. So this is just again. This is this is just me. But the story really is is explaining who Darben is and Darben's motivation. Where the movie really begins, it's like, why are we hiding Carol's, the flashback to Hala and the Supreme Intelligence? Start the story there. Mm-hmm. We meet Darben. Is Darben a contemporary of Carol's? Evidently, she was. We see that in this in this yeah, flashback. Right. Does Darben and Carol, who at that point is Vers, are are they friends? Are they more? Another motivation there. Darben is betrayed. She's shocked, and her then her world is wounded. Another big inference in this movie that is not explained is now we understand 
Because remember, this happens, supreme intelligence happens in the 1990s. What happens to Hala? Everything that happened in the Guardians of the Galaxies movies with Ronan the Accuser and sort of the Kree we've seen throughout there, all that is fallout from what Carol did. Okay. I, I you know, about That's about one o'clock in the morning, that click, yeah, that clicked at that clicked in my head. But the the movie, of course, does, and it doesn't need to. But it it you know, okay, now there's another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. But could have used just a little bit there. So when we meet Darben in the present, she's got a bangle. She's not looking for a bangle. But she is because she needs both of them. Who has the other one? Kamala Khan has the other one. The movie starts with Darben showing up on Earth. It's like, give me the other bangle. Give it to me, dude. And then that leads. Then why? Because why is Kamala Khan in the story? The only reason she's in the story is because she gets entangled with the other ones. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying earlier, it's like it's just it's just because. Yeah. It's just because. But if Darben goes to Earth looking for the other bangle, then we find out what the bangle is. We find out why it's so important. And now we have a reason to be there. What's Miss Marvel going to do? She's like, oh, my gosh. She's like, I got powers. Darben's like, whatever. Whatever. Your powers mean nothing. She's got to get help. Who, do, who does uh, Miss Marvel go to for help? Uh, she somehow finds her way to Nick Fury, who just so happens to have a really good friend in Carol Danvers. That, to me is is the progression there again mm-hmm. that's just me we didn't even talk about it. we should wrap up on this uh to talk about loki uh we didn't even talk about the very end of the movie which is a great cameo by uh hawkeye uh kate yeah but real real quickly one thing i, I also wanted to just kind of state that i did not like is how carol flew into the Cree sun and reactivated it. If if it was if it was that, she could have done that right from the beginning. It's another example of not having a firm grip on Carol's character. Carol's character, I think, as Bree is playing her, and as some of the the the, the stories are suggesting, is Carol can do anything. She has godlike power, except when it comes to dealing with people. She's fucking terrible with people. She's mm-hmm. terrible. For a lot of reasons, of what, a couple of which I mentioned earlier. This is a woman who has been punched down on her entire life and has a huge chip on her shoulder. This is a woman who is not out and maybe can't articulate this still. Right? I know I've known people like this as well. Carol reads very loud and clear to a lot of people. This is not just me talking. Carol reads as someone who's very much is, is who it, everybody knows is gay, it, but maybe she doesn't. Question mark. Um, there's that, and then she gets these powers, and then she loses her memories, and then, and then, and then, and so. But if we just isolate it to Carol, is just confused at heart about who she is. She's lost her memories, her identity, sexually. Gender-wise, maybe a little bit up in the air for her. Those are all great things to play with. And Brie Larson is playing those. You can see it. Um, the movie isn't always because then she has to count. And then when she gets, you know, it for me, a lot of that works. And it's frustrating because the, the story is kind of falling down on her a little bit. Um, her, her chemistry, though, I will say what makes this movie enjoyable. The chemistry between the women is fantastic. The interaction between the characters is fantastic. Um, the direction is and the action is often very, very, very strong. Nia DaCosta is a really good director. Um, 
the the comedy for me was often very funny. The the kittens was chaos. Um, I really enjoyed that. I just I wanted. Um, um, I just I I I feel like it needed uh a, the movie needed a little bit of perspective, you know, a little bit of breathing, and also we squandered we've squandered the scroll thing. I think is the biggest grievance, completely. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Yeah, because the uh the air planet, the planet that brought the air to back to Cree. That was the scroll planet, and that was the only mention we have of the scrolls in this movie. And it was what all of five minutes, and we save it, who we can, and the others, bye. <laughs> like the mo- the movie tries to cram in Carol's recriminations with the scrolls into the scene. It goes by like that. It tries to cram in actually. Now that I'm remembering it. Uh, Miss Marvel and and Carol do have a little bit of conflict here because because Kamala's yeah. instinct is to save everybody. Carol knows better. She knows you can't do it. Yeah. So she's hardened by that. Um. But then that goes by like that. And, and then the also whole school is that, resolved very quickly. Resolved very quickly. And then also this entire sequence is completely antithetical to what happens in Secret Invasion, which we're not going to talk about. We have an entire pod about it. Check it out. But this entire movie treats Secret Invasion as if it never happened. Maybe in some ways that's a good idea because reasons. But I found myself wondering, did this movie happen before or after Secret Invasion? Like that fury that we saw in the Marvels, is that pre-Secret Invasion or post-Secret Invasion? And I wasn't sure. My inference, and that this is going off of virtually nothing, is that it's post because he, at the end of Secret Invasion, he takes the space elevator, which they're in in this movie, up to the space station, um, and he goes back to his life, uh, at, you know, uh, as part of this organization, and that's where we meet him here. I assume it's post. We don't see his wife. We get no reference to any of this whatsoever. But we never um, saw his wife even beforehand, so... Well, in in the uh, at the end of Secret Invasion, he goes up to the uh, with his wife, whose name I'm blanking on. He goes up to the space station. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I that it, that's just strange. It's confusing the whole scroll thing. Why you know um, the the if you're if you're just a casual Marvel person and you leave Captain Marvel and then she goes off with the scrolls to find them a home and your next stop on the the MCU train is here. You're going to, that is confusing. Yeah. That is confusing. You know, your inference will be that she left all the scrolls on that air planet. Yeah. And that, and that was it. And that was cool. And then this is her first interaction with them. And the reason she stayed away was because of the Cree. And that's why, that's why I'm here to tell you that, 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 that's a reshoot, that whole sequence there with that, that sort of retcon. And because the, the, that's, that's them trying to, to to salvage something in this movie and in the larger scroll narrative and Carol's whole thing about trying to recover her memories and trying to get back to who she was that that that's part of the movie but then it's it's left it's forgotten and it's just sort of there like junk DNA it's just left yeah. and there that there's there's it's midichlorians it, all over again well it's just, it's just it's bad it's bad writing it's bad writing and it's frustrating because there's a lot of good writing going on here and there. And we have such good actors. 
mm-hmm. um, who are trying their damnedest. And um, and as an entertaining movie, it's entertaining. It's you know it's fine. It's not the end of the world. I think the problem is that the MCU has hit the highest of the highs, and and we're measuring it against some impossible uh, you know um, feats. And we expect more. The MCU is going through a little bit of a rough patch right now, but it's not all doom and gloom because Loki. So I was talking about Secret Wars. So spoilers for Loki. I'll just say real quick, high level. Um, Loki, season two, season one together, and it's all of the Loki stuff. It is is may this may be the best MCU anything. This is just so incredibly powerful and moving, transcendent in some ways. Tom Hiddleston deserves an Emmy for his work in this show. Loki at the end. So I I commented on an earlier pod uh, speculating about where this was going, and and um, uh, unlike uh, the Marvels, where I was a, a little bit off in my speculation, I was dead on the money in Loki, and Loki uh, effectively replaces He Who Remains at the end of season two, and he becomes uh, i'm going to call him god emperor loki so a little bit ago i referred to god emperor doom from secret wars so we're going to get god emperor loki here who you know just a powerful moving glorious sequence uh at the end of episode six season two solves the problem by finding a different way by committing to his sort of character's fate and his fear was to be alone and to be this figure in Ragnarok and he become he choose he maybe he isolates himself for all time to save the multiverse transforms the sacred timeline into Idrisil uh the world tree mm-hmm. from Norse mythology it's glorious he takes all the threads of the multiverse and turns them into vine there's a lot here I could talk about that has really incredible resonant resonance here. What did you think maybe before we go, I go any further, what do you think of it? Loki or Loki? Yeah, I really liked the, not just episode six, but also how episode six reflected on the entire show. It really made it seem like the writers had the entire two seasons planned out. And they knew what they were telling from the beginning. And that's a really rare thing. You almost never see that in shows. Well, it's it's also 15 years, 14 years of Loki. At, at the end of episode six, before he leaves his friends and he goes out to the uh, gangway, he turns back to them and he said, you know, uh, somebody says Mobius or somebody says, why are you doing this? And he's like, for you, for everyone. Loki, at the end of the first Thor movie, says, these are his final words to Thor. For you. For everybody. Uh, the resonance here with Norse mythology, Loki is entrapped in chains, uh, uh, imprisoned uh, beneath the world to await Ragnarok in Norse mythology. The threads of the multiverse become chains in a way that are threading him in. They're really roots of the tree, but 
this multiversal tree, but his fear throughout seasons one and two is voiced finally uh, as this fear of being alone and being isolated. He doesn't want to be alone. He just wants his friends, as he tells Sylvie. And then he chooses he chooses to do that. He sacrifices his wants. His Loki very selfish, very <laughs> very self centered. He sacrifices all that to preserve everything, not just the sacred timeline. Consequence of doing that of allowing the branches to grow of Idrisil is um, the incursions from Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Is that those universes, the individual universes, realms, dimensions of the multiverse will now contact. Kang is still there. Mobius references the Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania Kang very quickly at the end of yeah, uh, 616 six. adjacent. That answers a very important question. That Kang is not he who remains. It may answer a bigger question, which we've also commented recently on the pod, which is the question of Jonathan Majors. I think Loki season two has answered that question. I think it is an open question whether or not we see Kang again at all, or he who remains at all in the multiverse saga. I believe that role is fulfilled by Loki, whose ultimate destiny will be to as the so the real villain in all of this is going to be the incursions and the encroachment and the crumbling collapse of the greater multiverse loki will play the doom role in secret wars god emperor doom who puts it all back together into one Mm. at the end of all of this and loki's final this is seems like the end for loki and i think in a lot of ways it is but the loki's final note final will be to make whole all of it at the end and that we'll leave him there but um, but this is this is where we'll find him again uh, in the next Avengers movie. I'm suspecting. I, I see season three of Loki maybe, but I doubt it. Which is it's frustrating mostly because we love these people, we love these characters. And yeah, I, want I, more. I can't see a season three. Like I'm not sure what story needs to be told at this point with Loki. Uh, I desperately need to know more about Sylvie and where she's going. Sure. Um, that would the, be my Sylvie one, season one. My complaint about uh, Loki season two is that it, I think it sort of loses Sylvie mm-hmm. uh, at times. And uh, understandable given what's sort of happening in, in season two. But it's a disappointment because Sylvie's great. Yeah. Uh, we need not worry about her. We'll see her again. But Are, are we, but though? I, because pretty much all mm-hmm. of the characters in Loki are uh, fairly isolated from everyone else. Why, Sugu, we might even see them in Deadpool 3. I don't know. Why? It could be weird if we we saw them in Deadpool 3. Why? Why not? (laughs) Well, because, like, for example, Mobius. The TVA uh, still exists. The TVA still exists, but uh, they've changed to becoming uh kang killers they're concerned about kang and the problem with kang is what he who remains said in season one which is that the the multiversal war leads to incursions which leads to the destruction of timelines right so deadpool 3 is going to advance this fox multiverse uh aspect which i talked about earlier and the TVA then, which will lead to presumably an incursion, which the TVA then will be forced to investigate. Okay. Yeah. And that's their tat. And this is where Sylvie and Mobius come back into it because it's going to be all hands on deck. Okay. All right. 
I'll be honest. That's still swimming around in my head and it can't connect to anything. Because I don't really understand that. But you know what? I will be here and I'll see what happens with it. Uh, Loki's entire and Sylvie's entire concern was was, uh, not pruning branches but preserving them. The incursions destroy branches. Mm -hmm. They destroy timelines and universes. And that is going to be what is going to be happening because it's a natural consequence of allowing the branches to grow is that as they do sometimes in nature, they fuse. Here, they're destroying each other because they can't fuse, although that is ultimately what Loki's going to do at the end of Secret Wars. But that will lead to universes collapsing, dying, disintegrating. That will lead to the TVA intervening, and then that will lead to the crisis in terms of, like, Sylvie and Mobius and everybody coming back in terms of, like, what's happening? What's going on? And then, you know, I thought Loki solved this, he did and he didn't. It, mm-hmm. It's that it's the it's the Ouroboros. It's it's the end is the beginning is the end. And this might be a good point to mention real quick. The quote there from uh, Loki references uh, when he's talking with He Who Remains, we die with the dying and are, are born with the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from T. S. Eliot's Little Gidding, uh, a major poem, which is uh, one of his most important works and. Um, my brain exploded at this for a lot of reasons. Uh, Elliot is a, a favorite of mine, and thematically, the the wasteland in particular, but also little getting uh, factors into um, my work and my thinking, particularly the Eververse and final final line of little getting is the fire and the rose are one, and and as the Eververse readers may have noted, that kid is walking around with the fiery rose in her chest mm-hmm. um, also maybe also maybe astute Eververse readers I'm just going to say this because this is really my only record I don't journal I don't do any I don't keep a diary or anything like that so this pod is sort of turned into my journal um, just so record for future readers listeners um, ever the hero book one in the Eververse references uh, glowing trees red glowing trees which are radioactive trees which are a consequence of the alien ship which has crashed into breakpoint and irradiated the ground. Uh, red trees and red vine. Something to think about in the Eververse as we go forward, especially book four, Black Market Heart, which, Sugu, can I say very quickly? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, my uh, pre-launch page for Kickstarter uh, is live, folks, so I will add a link into the description. I would appreciate it so much if you gave it a look, if you gave it a follow if you're curious at all about what I just said, or if you're just like, I cannot wait for this guy to stop talking. Either way, um, if you're curious about the red vine and the glowing red trees and the fire and the rose, uh, read book four, Black Market Heart. Uh, Kickstarter launches uh, January, pre-launch page live now. I appreciate any looking, I'm very excited looking forward to it and my writer brain my nerd brain my tsla brain exploded when uh loki referenced little getting for a lot of reasons and um so anyway i just wanted to note that real quick but um i i think loki seasons one and two i I just think this is immaculate this is just as good as it gets in the mcu and tom hiddleston's entire arc and his performance and 
all of it is just immaculate. It's mm. it's it's good and so well considered. Um, and I I have a very strong sense I believe of where it's going. Of course, we can't know, but I feel like I feel like as I ref as I, we talked about in a previous pod, uh, the the Ragnarok cycle is what this all is. The, the eternal loop, the Ouroboros. Loki seems to have broken it uh, at the end of. Uh, episode six at the end of season two, but um, not really because he's just, he's allowed it. So the end is the beginning. And um, well, one thing that I noticed that I thought was really interesting is that Kang did, uh, he did all that, but through technology through mechanical means and Loki destroying the loom and weaving it himself made it natural, made it organic. I just thought that was a really interesting idea of again of the technology versus nature. And you cannot separate them or distinguish them as he who remains is constantly telling Loki, I I paved the road for this. I, I you are why I'm here and then but technology gives to nature, nature gives to technology. We have a lot of arguments in the world today about fears about the technology technology is a product of nature mm -hmm. it is uh nature then as a consequence is our successors will find a way to fix our environment through technology yeah um, but they'll have to yeah <laughs> but i did have a really quick question um yeah 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 because one th one thing that i thought was going to happen was the problem the problem of scaling that they keep saying about the loom, like, yeah, yeah, I thought the obvious reason that the they could never fix the loom was because the more times that Loki goes back, the more branches he is creating by like going back. Just that simple thing of him going back creates a branch now, so. To me, that uh, like that was an obvious point problem of scaling that they never addressed. But then, well, the question that I have is: when he went back all the way back to the beginning, and he met Mobius for the first time, and then that world spaghettified. Why? So he Loki is time slipping through the TVA right it's not the tva is outside of time it's not exactly linear progression when the tva is disintegrating and we see some of the other settings disintegrate the spaghettify um that that's not necessarily linear that is there it's all happening at once so when the loom originally disintegrates or explodes i should say and then we get the spaghettification what we see of the that scene with mobius and the uh the sort of the conference room um, that you're referring to is just a consequence of that. It's all of it is unraveling, and maybe we can think of it as a backwards sort of unravel, retro, because there's a lot of retroactive causality happening in this show. Oh, so this is like uh, the Flash with the spaghetti. Um, I slander <laughs> to compare this to the Flash, <laughs> but yes, it's similar. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of basically the TVA stuff. I think is all happening at once, and um, I think that explains some of that. A little bit of timey wimey going on. Yeah. Um, 
but um, I think that's what's going on. And and um, the way that I read it was that the TVA cannot, because it exists outside of time, it cannot have a branching timeline. It can't branch at all. So anything that changes that course must disintegrate, must spaghettify, because the TVA is only a single entity. Which which is why we see things like the walls and the paintings being painted over and the statues being changed because it can't change. Right. Because the, it can't be rewritten. So the only way to do it is to physically do it, which is what we do here. And so you get things like Kang painting over his own statues and things like that, um, that, you know, that all make sense. And then it, that Kang, or sorry, he who remains lives in the Citadel at the end of time, his very Gothic sort of cathedral that he lives in. When we first see it, it's 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 laced with all this this uh, kintsugi element again, the Japanese pottery, the gold, is holding it all together. And then we think initially that's because of this cycle that he's talking about. It breaks and resets and breaks and resets, and it's coming back together. What we see at the very end of season two is the gold is actually from Loki's crown, mm-hmm. right? It's it's immaculate. It's immaculate, right? Um. We know it's not, they didn't plan this from 2008. Yeah. But this is a great example of leveraging of what Michael Piller, the writer and executive producer on Star Trek Next Generation called Zen writing, which is leveraging your subconscious elements in your story. And mm-hmm. Loki carries so much with him. And his arc, because it's his arc in mythology is the eternal cycle, and because the multiverse is infinite, and because secret wars exist in the comics, and reboots and cycles and all the things that we've talked about on the pod recently and here and there, you're able to then take all of that and 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 harness that into this truly special moment and that has not just inherent value and 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 just for this character and these characters but for the entire thing it's truly wonderful um it, it, it's it's excellent it's almost flawless you know sylvie like i said i feel like gets lost a little bit but you know and when you have such a, an actor as tom hiddleston when you have people who are really on top of it who are, you know, doing just outstanding work, it, it all works. And then, you know, when you don't, we've seen the consequences of that. But, you know, what I was going to say there was that it makes it seem like that, the, you know, the, because what happens with Jonathan Majors is, is such a thing you could not have anticipated. So this makes it seems like, seem like that this is a reaction to what's happened with Jonathan Majors. That's not true. The Jonathan Majors issues happened after this was filmed. Mm-hmm. But what this has, though, is the benefit of is what I talked about on our previous pod when we speculated about this, which is that you have now, because of what's happened, we can simply move on Mm -hmm. from Jonathan Majors. It's unnecessary to see he who remains again. Um, It's maybe unnecessary to see Kang again. I would be personally disappointed if we didn't see him again. it, well, it would be for me. It would be a little bit of, of a loss, but well, Quantum Mania promised that Kang will return, and he may. It almost certainly will not be Jonathan Majors, unless you know, 
And it, it just right now, as it stands, as it appears, I don't expect him to return. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Variety article a couple weeks ago. Um, there was a source in that article, anonymous source, who said that they're MCU, quote, MCU guys are fucked because they don't have a Jonathan Majors plan. This person clearly did not see this show and also clearly was uh, trying to salt the earth a little bit. Um, they're fine. They're fine. If, if it doesn't work out with Jonathan Majors, that's really sad. Um, it's unfortunate because I, I think he's a great actor who sounds like maybe not a great person. Um, but he, Kang as the big bad would have been great. Um, but he, because of what happens at the end of Loki season two, it's effectively unnecessary. Mm-hmm. If they choose to go forward with Kang, they can recast him and the multiverse allows this. We've already seen Kang variants. So we're fine. We're fine. There's no worries. Um, and actually, I, I don't know that it, it's, you know, I don't know that the, the MCU will actually even do it. Um, the strike is over. The strikes are over. Um, All of things them, are going to come. The VFX. Uh, the v, well, they've unionized. Okay. But the, the SAG after strike and the WGA strikes are over. Things are going to calm down. Things are going to normalize. This is still we're going to be feeling ripple effects of this into next year because of uh, the shifts in schedules and things like that. There's going to be a pause now uh, in MCU stuff for a while, and this is a good thing. This is a healthy thing. Take a minute, relax, breathe, see what you've got. You've got a they've got a really good grip on where they're going in the macro. Let's keep our eye on what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's keep an eye on some of our productions. Let's scale back. That's clearly going to happen. And let's just get back to having fun and um, and telling really good stories because we're, we're clearly capable of it. And um, and there is no superhero fatigue. Um, the you know uh, if the box office ended today uh, at, for the 2023 Ant-Man and the Wasp, despite its failure, would still be the top 10 grossing, the highest grossing film worldwide of 2023. Spider Verse Guardians. It's not been a great year for the box office in general, dude. Um, And then uh, the Guardians, Spider Verse number two and three movies this year. Um, The top, the top two shows on Amazon Prime right now are Gen V which is a spinoff of The Boys I Know Nothing About, and Invincible, which is an animated superhero cartoon. The superhero fatigue thing is is oversold. I don't say that shilling for a guy who's writing a superhero series. It's just oversold. What we're tired of are stories that aren't good. Movies that aren't good, shows that aren't good. When they're good, we, we were happy. Yeah, and I'll reiterate for myself, like, I'm... The superhero fatigue that I'm feeling is not what we're getting. It's that every character is such a corporate property that the characters are very much managed. They are not allowed to do certain things that would break the corporate brand, that type of stuff. Like, for example, you were talking about Ms. Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel earlier. It's really unfortunate that in 2023, Disney, one of the largest companies in the world that makes media the world over, still can't have an out-and-out 
LGBTQ relationship because that might stress other markets. It's frustrating. It's frustrating because um, I, I'm there, I'm of two schools of thought about it. It is fine when it comes to some you know some aspects of a character's identity or a creator's identity that it's not it is not you're not obligated to voice this. Okay, I've talked about this vis-a-vis -vis, uh, being autistic and autistic representation in fiction. I have two schools that are in conflict with each other about this topic. That applies to some other things. However, I am not Disney. <laughs> Goes without saying. Um, Disney is in court right now with the state of Florida because the state of Florida has decided uh, to throw a hissy fit, or Ron DeSantis, I should properly say, has decided to throw a hissy fit because of a woke, quote-unquote, wokeism on disney's part is disney has committed jesus yeah disney has committed itself uh financially and pr wise to being to representing lgbtq people and values and shows and they do however it feels on our side of the aisle at times to be half measures for the reasons that we talked about vis-a-vis -vis carol if you're worried about box office here and there because this country won't play it or the guys won't turn out because uh, Carol is queer. Um, they already know she's queer. They clocked her as queer in Captain Marvel because Brie Larson chose to play her that way. Some people legitimately in the comics have a problem with that because the Carol in the comics, the Amazon straight as an arrow, is not this Carol. This Carol is petite. She's got a chip on her shoulder. She's physically different from that Carol. She's queer. Some people don't like that. And they don't like it because it's for, not because they don't like queer people. It's because it's different from the comics. I get that. And then you have the bros who just, you know, they can't stand it. And the other night when they sniffed out the Tessa Thompson cameo and that whole thing, then it just started again with all of that stuff. Like, you know, um, a lot of people are happy with the Tessa Thompson cameo and the implications therein. And the, those same people who are happy with it are frustrated because it does everything but, right? Exactly. So it's complicated. It's not simple. It's not easy, but yet it is. So, you know, let it. Yes, to your point. Let's just let's not mess around. Um, you know. You have to give them credit for what they do do. Um, and you also have to hold them to task for what they don't. And that's fair. And, you know, that's fair. And then, you know, at this, you know, I Tessa Thompson is on the record being very frustrated. Because Valkyrie is gay. And that those scenes were cut out of Ragnarok. There's just a little bit in Love and Thunder that was clearly not what Tessa Thompson expected or sold to the audience going into that movie because that movie was supposed to address the fact that the Ragnarok stuff was mostly cut out. Her and Brie Larson, like I said, are <laughs> very chummy on the social media. Um, and they have, they have advocated this connection between Valkyrie and Carol that has been a big subject of, of shipping and fandom and fan fiction and fan art and all those things for years now. They've, they've, and they turned that into this cameo. Tessa Thompson has no reason being in this movie. 
The only reason she's in this movie is because Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson wanted it to happen. And they wanted it to happen for themselves and then for the audience, which has been shipping on this thing for four or five years. So it's frustrating. Everything but. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I get my own frustration, right? Is that in these major properties you get, you almost go all the way. And then in the end, you pull it back to play it safe. What if you want to play? If you want to play footsie, there's ways of doing it and still having fun. What if the reason Carol's on Earth at the outset of this movie is she's come home to see her girlfriend? Valkyrie is the president uh, or the uh, king of uh, New Asgard. What if Carol's hanging out in New Asgard with her girlfriend, and Nick Fury calls her because he thinks she's in space, right? He's like, it's a chick. She's always in space. She's like, you know, and she's in New Valkyrie. He's like, what are you doing there? Nothing. No reason. No reason. <laughs> you know, she has to hurry up and put her clothes on or something. Yeah. Like, for me, that's probably like my big kind of sore spot with all this is that you have so much potential to actually like do a hell of a lot in terms of social justice, in terms of like social commentary. And you, you like, you go just enough to imply it, but then you pull back. And the Marvels is full of that, with the Kree being the colonizers and the way they viewed the scrolls and and the the music loving people, Aladdin's Alderans or some whatever those are called. Yeah, like you've got this really great nuggets of social commentary that they just are like no we don't want to talk about it actually we just want to bring it up just enough i have so many thoughts about this obviously as a writer and a reader and a viewer that we don't have time for today so we might maybe we'll revisit them in in another episode that has more to do with the the writing side of it but a corporate thing that happens a lot is that it's not just enough simply to show it this, it's, it's not enough for two women to kiss in the deep background of a shot in Star Wars and then for you to go on The Tonight Show and say that representation matters. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. And you, I understand what you're doing and I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong because the alternative is nothing. So that's not the problem. The problem is, is that it's just not a, enough to do it. When you have all the things you just outlined... This is a movie, and this movie, the reason the movie is, is getting so much hate and vilification is because it's a movie about a white woman, a black woman, and a Pakistani-American woman who are all so superpowered as to be ridiculous, who are kicking ass all over the place. It's about a female villain, of a woman of color. The, are there, As I heard a few times leading up to this movie, are there any white guys in this movie? I believe there is at least one. So, check mark. Like... To me personally, that that never – can I just say – I know we're way over. We need to wrap <laughs> up. Can I just say really quickly though, honest to God, honest to God, Sugu, all all the guys – I know some of these guys. They're like, I, I, I'm quote unquote these guys. I, you know, I'm tired of all this – everything is chicks now. I'm tired of seeing all this stuff with chicks. You're straight-blooded American male and hoorah and all that. When have ever? When have you ever had straight-blooded male American guys 
ever had a problem with too many chicks. Everything's chicks now. I'm here to tell you, as as a as a dude, as a guy, that I appreciate it, all the women. Right? I like going to movies. I like watching TV and seeing women. Why don't you like women? What the fuck? I mean, what, you know, am I, am I just not, am I woke, Sugu? Have I been infected by the woke mind virus? See, the thing that I don't get, what, <laughs> <laughs> what, what pinged me with the Marvels, like what really pinged me, which I really appreciated, <laughs> was that these three people, the three main characters, all women, all different races. They were able to come together as a team, not through uh, competitive dick measuring like we usually see in, like, yes. say, for example, the Avengers, where they had a big old fight between Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America to resolve it while we Loki got away. Like, you didn't have a big old fight. You had the three of them come together and become a team through the power of actually talking and negotiating and figuring out why the hell they're actually upset. They had to work out how to use their powers together or else they weren't going to beat Darben. Exactly. And instead of, instead of the guys, Tony or uh, yeah, Tony and, and Steve Rogers, those guys would have beat it out of each other. They, they were just like, we'll, we'll work it out. Right? We'll work it out. I really appreciated seeing that on the screen because you don't see that. And the fact that we got to see it that in that specific instance really highlighted to me how rare it was. And it's localized in the fact that there are three women. Narrative is traditionally United States, Europe is narrative is male centric and skews around things that are, are cater to men. Maybe even at their roots, drama and conflict, not that these things are absent in stories involving women, of course. But guys guys want to see shit explode. They want to. They want to see punches. They want to do all the things that this movie has. This movie has lots of action. Some of it's very, very good. Um, but it, but then they start to wilt at the idea of, you know, conflict resolution, talking out your shit, all of this stuff, feelings, anything that is, you know, that they've just uh, instead of you know having to discuss, they just call woke and then they throw it in the trash. It's exhausting. I'm exhausted, frankly, by all of it. Um, I was exhausted by it online. I'm exhausted by it in life. It's gotten to the point where, like, you know, if you don't want to see the movie, you don't want to see the movie. That's cool. But, like, I don't know. I don't know what the problem, you know. I, I don't know what the problems are. I don't. This stuff that's going on, these conversations that we have are not rooted in reality for me, you know. The, the vitriol that's being directed at the women in the movie, the, the actresses and Nia DaCosta, uh, the vitriol that's being directed at female reviewers, female reporters, female commentators, podcasters, p- 
people who are simply doing what we're doing right now, we don't get any of this, and we wouldn't. This is junk. This is junk. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a guy out there and you've got time in your day to call, to to type in in all caps uh, to a female uh, podcaster that she's a quote-unquote woke bitch and a shill for Disney for liking this movie, you need to get a life, dude. You need to get a life in a hurry. You need to get some mental, <laughs> emotional support. You need to get offline. Well, therein lies the issue, line. right? Like right there, you need emotional support, but men in America especially are encouraged to do it all by themselves and not get emotional support. Well, this sadly is not an um, exclusively American problem. No, but I don't I don't want to speak for other countries when like this this is a this is a guy issue. Yeah. That does not discriminate between guys around the world. And social media has banded together a lot of bros. We've discovered that the bro is not native to any one country. <laughs> the bro is universal, sadly. Um, but we just we need to um, we need to move on, guys. You need to get some female energy in your life, or some male, whatever your whatever your thing is. That's cool. You need you need to. You need to calm down. You need to calm down. You need to move on. We need to accept some things. Or do so. I don't know. I don't know. But it's 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 pathetic. It's scary in some cases. You know, for some of these women, it's scary because of the behavior. And um, and I, I think that the object of some of this behavior is to intimidate. And I think that's really pathetic. And you need to... Um, we, you know, uh, you know, none of this is that important. None of it matters. We're talking about comic books. We're talking about superheroes. We're talking about TV shows and movies. And, you know, uh, this goes into a lot of things that we're just simply not going to talk about today. But I mean, there's just, we just need to move on. We need to move on. Yeah. But what does matter is human rights. Yeah. And some of these people, their human rights are getting denied due to this bro culture, due to this mob-like violence. I, you know, it's 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 just it's just pathetic. Um, it it's it's ugly. I, I've seen it. Uh, I I have uh, personal friends who are victims of this. I've had this as a writer on a very low register. I, I write books about powerful women, and so I've gotten these kind of comments. Um, they don't approach, one, I'm nobody in the world, but two, they're not going to approach the scale that they do with these women because these guys wouldn't have the balls to do it, mm -hmm. um, frankly. So, and I know that, and they know that. They do it because they perceive weakness on the part of these women. They're also threatened by their strength, which is, I said a moment ago, I, I, I don't understand this. Um, I... I you and I completely understand this. What I don't understand is the 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 mental illness which is in, infected. You know, our our communicate and you know why this is just so persistent. You know, um, it it's it it's sad. It's sad. You know, it it's pathetic. It's disappointing. It's scary. Uh, it's just a movie. 
And if you didn't like it, like, you know, you and I didn't like aspects of it, that's all it is. On to the next one, you know? But whatever. Yeah, but as you and I both know, uh, if they don't like something, you can't like it either. You could, you're only allowed to like what they like. Yeah, I... One of the, one of the things that happens in 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 conversations like this, which are that become inbred with these conversations, like woke. So now it's the only word they can say. So when they start talking, it's just woke, 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 because they don't have the ability to to say other things or to think other things. So they're just talking to themselves, and then they're not making any sense. And then they, and you know, eventually they, you know, they just become trapped in their own little bubbles here um you see this uh i'm not going to go down these roads like i said we're we're way over but you see this in in some of our politics Mm -hmm. where the conversation is disconnected from the results and you saw that again last week or last tuesday here in the states what happened last the polling what or the democrats won a bunch of elections oh all right so i won't summarize all of it but um folks here in the states are probably familiar but the polling and the conversation suggests the apocalypse, doom is gloom, and all this other stuff. But it's done that for several cycles now. And the, for several cycles now, the Democrats have overperformed. Well, why is that? It's because the echo chamber is such on the right that it's not, they think that they're loud because they're very loud, because they're talking very loud and they're talking constantly, but they're talking only to each other. And they are disconnected from the mainstream in the main in the States. In the main, not completely, but they are disconnected in the main, and that it is not translating into what's actually happening at the polls. And and that's you know what's happening at the box office this weekend with the Marvels will seem like the Bros had an impact on it. That's not the reason why this movie is going to struggle. Um, I'm actually very interested. To, the real the real tell with the Marvels will be next weekend. Um, if it dies, if it falls off a cliff like the way the Flash has in other movies, okay. But if it has legs, which I think this movie might, because it's fun, it's a good two hours, things like that. And there is a reason if you're an MCU head who thinks that there was no reason to go see this movie because the marketing was like this, I don't know what this is. There are there are MCU reasons to go see this movie. I'll be very interested to see if this movie ends up having legs. And if it does, then I think we're fine. If it doesn't, then yeah, that is a legit conversation that needs to be had. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. But... Um, unfortunately in the echo chamber the conversation will be the bros have won because the movie's going to have what's probably going to be the worst opening for an MCU movie yeah I saw an article today about about that that it uh, really yeah. really low like even lower than Flashpoint um, this is a yep this then that that is that is a problem it's a combination of a bunch of factors, which you and I elucidated on a previous pod here recently because we saw it coming because there are problems in the marketing. You had the strike. You had a lot of reasons. And um, the recent Marvel has not been great. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons for it. Um, and then, like I said, I said earlier that the, these actresses uh, are going to pay the price for it. I hope Marvel's lesson from this is not that we're is not to do another Captain Marvel movie um or something like that um that they made a mistake in making a movie about these three like that like we can't make a movie about women and and it's gonna i hope that's not the lesson i I hope the lesson is is that you know 
we've just fallen down on our game. We've been resting on our laurels and we thought that we were just minting money and everything we touched turned into gold and that that's no longer true. We have to be better. We have to be smarter. And we need to get back to kind of maybe where we were in the beginning with the MCU, which is that everything has to work because everything is writing on it. Everything's writing on it. The reason those those early movies were so good is because it was passion and it was energy. And also they had to work because if they didn't, there, there was nothing. It was bankruptcy. Yeah, this brings me up to like, I guess my final thought, but what I really was kind of deciding uh, one of my opinions when I came out of the Marvels was... I think at this point, any discussion about the MCU or any Marvel property that comes out in theaters, I think is going to have me talking about like late stage capitalism, corporate cronyism, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. the Disneyfication of stuff. Like I think pretty much every time now, it's going to have me tangentially or outwardly ranting about it. Because one of the things that made Marvel Marvel Studios such a success back in the day, like 10 years ago, 50, 20 years ago, however long it was, was they were the underdog. Like you yeah. were saying, they had to make everything work. So the writing had to come first. But now they are the peak of success in the movie studio world. Just like Apple mm-hmm. in the tech world, everyone's trying to emulate Apple. Everyone's trying to emulate emulate the MCU because the MCU makes a butt ton of money. It always happens, and it, it's it's uh, as the best superhero movie uh, ever uh, summed up. You either die the hero, or you live long enough to become the villain, and that that's what's happened, unfortunately, to the MCU. Yep. So they need to uh, give all their money away and go back to being the underdog. They need to die the hero. And so we're going to do that here in a couple of years. We're going to we're going to end it and we're going to restart. So, I mean, that that that's that's the big play. And maybe, you know, maybe we need to maybe we need to car crash here, have a bad show, have a bad movie, have some bad results, have be looking at our balance sheets and wondering, oh, God. You know, maybe that needs to happen. Maybe there needs to be some wake-up I know there have been, but I, there needs to be a recognition that this isn't working. I got a strong sense that they know that mm-hmm. and that they're, that they're in course correction right now. But a lot of this is, like I said, these, these things take forever to make. And so they have tales that go all the way back to pre-COVID in the case of Marvels. They can't fix now. But, you know, hopefully they're learning the right lessons. Hopefully we get past some of this nonsense in the discourse. And then we'll actually be talking about different stuff at some point for sure because we, I feel like we've talked about a ton of MCU lately for good reason. Um, I love talking about it. There's so much to talk about, but there's other, <laughs> there's other stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, 
and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye. <laughs>